0: This week at Hope Point. I don't know what you have done in your life. I don't know what darkness has acted against you or what darkness you ran toward, but I want to tell you that whatever darkness it is, Jesus Christ and His peace can bring control to your chaos. He is the Prince of Peace. And He can bring peace to any heart. Paul said, this is what we are to be about as believers, proclaiming this message, to be ready at all times to take this gospel of peace into this chaotic world. We're so glad to have you join us for today's message. We pray that it would challenge and encourage you to applaud God, follow Christ, and live on mission. Let's listen to what Richard has to say to us from God's Holy Word. If you attend this church regularly, you... Uh, have probably heard the name, uh, run to this guy at one time or another, Rick Higgins. If there is a hill to be climbed or a mountain to be climbed in the world, he's probably climbed. But when I was preparing for this, I asked him, I said, So how many mountains have you climbed? He said, Too many to keep in my mind. And uh, the tallest one he's climbed is Aconcagua at 22,800 feet. And uh, everybody knows that we're waiting to hear whether or not he'll ever attempt Everest at 29,000 feet. But I was talking to him about climbing the other day and just said, of all the things that are, you would say are primary, what is it? He said, boots. He said, I own six different pair of climbing boots because you'll not have success without the proper boots. I said, well, where do you get the best boots in the world? He said, in Europe. And I said, my goodness, I cannot imagine Saturday morning, wake up, honey, I'm going to go buy a, new, buy a new pair of boots. Next, all of a sudden, you find yourself in Austria that day buying boots. I guess you can get them online. But Rick said, unless you are clothed rightly, you have no success with the great mountains of the world. This is really the sentiment of the Apostle Paul. He's in prison writing the letter that we're going to study today. He'd been preaching the gospel and was arrested and now is in what we call the Mamertine prison in Rome. And he's either chained to or looking at a large Roman centurion, a soldier. And as he looks at this soldier decked out in all sorts of armor, it begins to dawn on him that this is the way the Christian should be fully clothed with the armor that Jesus Christ gives us if we're gonna be successful in the battle of this world as this soldier was gonna be successful in war. This is how Paul said in Ephesians 6, put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes for our struggle is against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil. So last week when we were together, we saw the first two pieces of armor that Paul said we should put on and he spoke of them in terms of a belt of truth, living a truthful life instead of a lie, and a breastplate of righteousness in which Jesus Christ and his righteousness fills your heart and covers your life. And today he'll introduce us to a new piece of clothing, proper footwear for the battle. Ephesians 6:14 stand firm then with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Roman soldiers were known to be successful in battle particularly because they were supplied by the emperor with a special footwear called caligae and it was it was interesting to look at it's it looked too flimsy to be exceptional but uh, it was a series of leather straps that were light enough that the, the man could march 25 miles in a day without blisters, yet because of the studs, the, 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 the iron studs on the bottom of his sandal, he was very able to handle high altitude climbing and climbing of different kinds of terrain. Also, the studs were useful in stomping on the necks of his fallen enemies I decided that that was probably not the best uh, thing to tell you about a talk on evangelism. So maybe that's where the metaphor breaks down. But the point that Paul is trying to make is that if you are not fitted with a readiness to share the gospel of Jesus Christ in this world, you will not stand strong in battle. That part of our armor is actually in the sharing of Christ. That's what makes us strong. Um, you remember four times in Ephesians 6, 10 through 20, Paul mentions the word or the phrase, you should stand strong. So we're not, it's not surprising to us that he's going to tell us about standing strong, properly clothed feet. Stand firm with your feet, fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. So it's basically, Paul was saying this, you want to be a strong Christian? Then strap up. You don't like the way the world is going? Then strap up, friend, and speak up. Hear that. You want to be strong in this world? Strap up and speak up with the message of the gospel of peace. I I love that phrase, not used a lot in the Bible. The gospel is used a lot. The word peace is used a lot, but the good news of peace is sort of rare for here. I talked a little bit last week that the goal, the new goal or the, I, I would say, our awareness of the new goal in society of the evil one is to produce as much chaos as possible and we're just living in a time where there seems to be increased chaos, especially for our young people. I read an article this, uh, this week. Uh, it was an older article, but it was uh, in the Washington Post, dated February of this year. It was called, The Crisis in American Girlhood. And the data of the article came from the CDC, and they did a particular youth risk behavior survey And the theme of the article is is there is a rising and pervasive sadness in teenage girls. Six in ten girls said they have retreated from their normal activities of life because of depression. One in three high school girls have considered suicide, which is a 60% increase in ten years. It's clear that evil is telling these girls through software and programs like TikTok and Snapchat that something is wrong with them, that their lives are abnormal because their lives are not great as the lives that are presented on these social media platforms. They're constantly trying to live up to impossible beauty standards, and then they're often exposed online to hate speech. These girls desperately need to be wrapped by the loving arms of Jesus Christ and to know that he is their greatest friend and that he will fill their lives with peace and contentment versus the chaos of the world. They need the peace of Jesus. Evil says you can find peace and satisfaction, happiness, utopia, whatever you call it, through living your own life and by rebelling as much as you want. That's exactly what Evil told Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. They had this great world. Evil came along and said, You can have more peace and more happiness if you would trust me. Evil, instead of trusting God, Adam and Eve did trust evil, they were wanted more peace. And I think if Adam and Eve were on the stage today and we're interviewing them, I think the, the question we would like to ask them is, how did that decision work out for you? They had a world that was created in six days of glorious power and beauty, all of a sudden turned into a world of chaos, corruption, and violence with one decision to believe that evil, convincing them to rebel, would bring more peace than trusting God. Our culture today is convinced and being persuaded more than ever that rebellion against norms that God has laid out in Scripture, that rebellion will bring peace or utopia or whatever. It really goes all the way back to the 20s and the 30s to what's known as the Frankfurt School and the University of Goethe, and all of that had been preceded by the teachings of three philosophers, Immanuel Kant, Karl Marx, and Friedrich Engel. And they all begin to propose a theory that became known as critical theory. The critical theory says that every system that exists must be critiqued and destroyed and replaced by something that man creates in order to gain utopia. So this whole idea of bringing in chaos, seeking destruction of everything that is normative to produce utopia, and yet it produces chaos. I think you probably saw last night on the news, another shooting, mass shooting outside of Dallas, Texas in a outlet mall eight people were killed ranging from age five to 61 and I think we just need to understand if we continue to tell society that utopia pleasure peace is going to be found in rebellion we're going to see more mass destruction and certainly individual destruction The utopia that culture longs for is found in the person of Jesus Christ, not by rebelling against morality, not by rebelling against family, but Jesus delivers peace. One of my favorite stories of an out-of-control, chaotic situation this brought under the peace of Jesus is found in Mark chapter five. The disciples had been with the Lord all night in a boat Um, On the Sea of Galilee, a violent storm almost capsized them. The disciples were frightened. They woke Jesus up and said, we're about to die. And with one phrase, Jesus calmed an entire storm and the sea became as smooth as glass. All of a sudden, the disciples were amazed their Messiah has power over nature. And then in the next story, they're gonna learn that their Messiah has power over Satan. They got out of the boat. They were on the other side, east of the Sea of Galilee, in a region called the Decapolis. And they go into this area called the Gadarenes. The capital of it was Gadara. And they were met by a demon-possessed man. And this is how Mark chapter five describes him. He had often been chained, hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Jesus immediately recognized that this man was possessed by dark, intelligent, evil, powerful Forces called demons. And it's interesting the conversation that happened. Jesus literally asked this demon, What's your name that's producing all this chaos? And the demon responded, My name is Legion. He replied, For we are many. This explains why the man lived in the graveyard. Why he was chained, but even the chains couldn't contain him. Why he screamed all night. Why he was totally out of control. Because a Roman legion is a military unit that is made up of 5,000 soldiers and 300 cavalry riders. There were many demons in this man. And with one word, Jesus Christ demonstrates his power. Mark 5, come out of this man, you impure spirit. And the Bible says that all of those demons fled out of that man and into a group of pigs that were raised in this area and rushed into the sea and were drowned. I don't know what you have done in your life. I don't know what darkness has acted against you or what darkness you ran toward, but I want to tell you that whatever darkness it is, Jesus Christ and his peace can bring control to your chaos. He is the prince of peace, and he can bring peace to any heart. Paul said this is what we are to be about as believers, proclaiming this message, to be ready at all times to take this gospel of peace into this chaotic world. You know, when you come to this particular piece of armor, it's a little strange because the other ones feel like, you know, warfare talk, breastplate, sword, helmet, and now he's talking about peace. You just don't expect it. The reason why is Paul is reminding us that, you know, though we battle spiritual forces, Our calling in life is not to go kill people, but to save them and to introduce them to the peace of Jesus. We are to charge like soldiers into Satan's POW camp and find men and women and children that are locked behind bars and through the preaching of the peace of Christ, we are to set them free. We're to tell them about the peace of Jesus. That's what we do in warfare. This is a picture of a soldier. You know, a lot of times when you think about warfare, spiritual warfare passage, you sort of think about that you're all decked out in all of this armor and you just stand there and you're, you're like this. You're just, okay, I got all this armor on, I'm resisting. No. You are resisting, but as you are resisting, you are fleeing, you are running fast into the camp of the evil one to free people who have never known a a second of peace in their life and will never know a second of peace in eternity unless we go tell them about the gospel of peace that is made possible by Jesus Christ. So, what does it mean? To have peace with God. This is. Look at Romans five one. Since we've been justified or made right with God through faith or trust, belief, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It is absolutely the best phrase in the Bible. The way it ends, peace with God. And the only way you can know if you have peace with God, if I'm telling you today, if you were, if you were to leave this. Worship center today. This is your last day. Three o'clock this afternoon, your life is taken from you. Would you be accepted by God in heaven? Do you know that? You can know that. And when you do know that, you have peace with God. That you know, I'm forgiven, I'm heaven bound, cleansed of all my past. Jesus Christ what does it mean to have peace with God let me let me tell you this story and see if this will help paint a picture think with me hundreds of years ago in a kingdom called Elias there was an emperor he ruled over a hundred districts or a hundred states he provided his people with fair working conditions and good housing One day, one of the states, out of the hundred states, one of the states, one of the districts, decided that they no longer wanted the king of Elias to rule over them, that they wanted to establish their own kingdom, and the only way to do that was to eliminate the king. So they picked the greatest and the bravest and the strongest soldiers from this one district to go charge into the capital city of Elias and to kill the king. And so they came to the the walls, and at night... They waited and they broke down many of the, of the stones on the beautiful walls around the palace. And everything that could be set on fire, they set on fire. But in the conflict and the battle of the whole night, the king's own soldiers went out and defeated the rebels from this rebel district. Then the next day, the king summoned his messengers called Euangelion's to go throughout all of the districts and to announce that the king was safe the coup had been defeated and he went through and they went and all these messengers on all their horses went to all the districts announcing when they got to the the district where the rebellion had started every leader of the coup trembled with fear because of what they had done to the king knowing they were about to be executed for their rebellion. And then one of the, one of the messengers, one of the evangelion, dismounted from his horse and picked up a parchment scroll and read this to all the people in the district. To all men, women, and children, the king of Elias declares that today is a day of peace. Whereas the king has the right to take the life of all rebels, instead he forgives. He offers forgiveness for all crimes and amnesty for all lawbreakers. Go to your homes and to your farms with the blessing of the king's peace. Well, they couldn't believe it. Nothing like this had ever been done before where a district rebelled against its king and lived. And so one of the leaders of the district went to the messenger on the king's horse and said, I have to see this for myself. And he looked at it and every word was written in the king's own handwriting. And when he got to the bottom and he saw the king's signature, the king had signed it in the blood of his own son. This is what it means to have peace with God that he promises to you, I don't want to harm you for rebelling against me. I don't want to condemn you for breaking my laws. And I promise if you would come to me, I will forgive you and give you amnesty for all. And I promise this in the blood of my son. That's what it means to have peace with God, that level of, ins- of assurance. Four chapters earlier before we started talking about the armor in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul said this, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ for he himself is our peace. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near for through him we both have access to the Father. We don't have time to talk a lot about This passage but I do want to remind you it was written to a church in modern day Turkey the city was called Ephesus it was a unique church because it was made up of two groups of people Jews who had spent their whole life reading the Ten Commandments they knew them very clearly in their mind but didn't obey them so they were near to God because they knew truth but it was also in this church it was made up of people pagans Gentiles, people from the nations who had never known any part of the scripture. They didn't know who God was. Instead, they had made up their own religion and worshiped not God, but idols. They were far from God. The example would be somebody like me. In this passage, I'm near to God. I grew up in a Christian home and went to seminary and I read sermons and teach sermons, but in my heart I still struggle greatly with sin even though I know the facts and know the story. But then there might be, so I'm near to God in that sense. And then there might be somebody here today that's come off the streets and you've never opened the Bible. This is your first time in church and you've done things that are horribly wicked whereas I've only thought about doing them. You're far from God in this sense. And yet the Bible says that both of us need the blood of Christ to have peace with God. It's almost like two skyscrapers in a city a thousand feet tall and they're not that far apart. And so two people challenge each other. They're gonna leap from one top of the building to the other building. And a news, a news crew is below watching this and there's an athlete and a non-athlete that are gonna jump and the non-athlete jumps And he's nowhere close and falls to his death. Then the athlete and the news crew below says, that wasn't even close. (laughs) Then all of a sudden the athlete jumps and he almost makes it. And the news crew below says, well, that was a much better jump. But that man also died. That's what's happening in Ephesians 2. You got some people who may do religion better than others but neither one have access to God apart from the blood of Christ. But everybody who believes in the blood of Christ has has peace with has peace with God. Those who are near and those who are far off. I guess you could summarize this passage with one verse in Romans 10:13: everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Can we just read that again. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the scandal of the gospel. Heaven is open to everyone who asks Jesus to cleanse them of their sin and fill them with his goodness. There is no stain that he can't remove, and there is no failure he won't forgive to all those who trust in his blood and yield to his power, Jesus Christ will give eternal life. Everyone. This is why Paul would say two verses later in this same chapter, how beautiful are the feet of those who go around the world telling people this. We don't normally think about feet as beautiful, We spend millions of dollars every year. Well, we, speaking of women, going to places and having your feet, or at least toenails, painted. Come back, you ask your husband how they look. He says, Fine. (laughs) But no matter what you do, there's just feet are feet, and they're just not that beautiful. I've been premarital counseling for 37 years, and I always ask the couple that sits on the couch. I ask them two questions, like, um, "You know, how did you meet?" and "What is it about the other person that makes you want to spend the next 50 years with them?" And I've never had a guy tell me, "Hey, bro, you're not gonna believe this, but it was just something about her feet." <laughs> No, feet are just not something that are beautiful except when they are sharing the hope that everyone is welcomed by God who believes in the blood and resurrection of Christ. That's when feet are beautiful. If feet are busy taking that message, those feet are beautiful. Paul borrowed this verse in Romans ten fifteen. He borrowed it from Isaiah 52, 7. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. This passage was written to people who were in trouble. Isaiah had told these people for 40 years, if you don't turn from your sin, you'll be destroyed by Babylon. And they were. And now his preaching changes because they've been 70 years captured by Babylon 900 miles from home. And Isaiah now tells them, Babylon is not in charge of you. Evil is not in charge of you. Satan is not in charge of you. Your God reigns and he's going to set you free. And he did. He sent a king from Persia to defeat the king of Babylon and those people got to go home and the picture in Isaiah 52 is a picture of a... Me- it's, a, it's, a it's a metaphor of a man Running on the tops of mountains all the way to Babylon, screaming with delight, Your God reigns, peace, you're going home. That's the imagery of that. That's the imagery of us running around the world telling people, God reigns. And the most powerful force in the world is not your past, the most powerful force in the world is not your present addiction or your grief. The most powerful force in the world is Jesus and his peace. This is what makes feet beautiful when they're on mission with God. Think about all of the dark and dangerous, lonely, sorrowful, sad places that feet have gone bringing the good news of Jesus Christ I think about the ministry that we are aligned with here called Set Free. David, to my left, works for Set Free. They go to remote villages, unreached villages, villages where women get up in the morning and can walk anywhere from three to seven miles to find clean drinking water for their family. I was thinking about water this weekend as we were filling up the bathtub for wells, our grandson, and far more water than he needed, far more water than any of these villagers have ever. And Set Free goes and men and women with boots walk into those villages and they dig hundreds of feet into the ground. They find water, it gushes up, mud is everywhere, boots are covered. And those people have water for the first time in their life inside their village. And when that water well is dug, then everybody on that trip tells those people, you need to know that Jesus Christ sent us to dig this well for you. And then they tell the story of Jesus, the son of God who came from earth to love and experience all of our pain and absorb our sin and died on a cross and rose from the grave so that you could know God, the creator, is your father. He loves you. And you can have peace with God. And I think about, man, those dirty boots from Set Free, they are beautiful feet. Beautiful feet. When you're on mission for God, your feet are absolutely beautiful. And Paul says, this should be our occupation. Have your feet be ready to share the gospel of peace. I want to close with this, <clears throat> a couple things. First of all, this whole passage is about warfare. How can you be strong as a Christian? I want to tell you, for those of you who are involved in personal evangelism, I want to tell you the, the way that you become a stronger soldier for Christ is through the sharing of the message. It's, that is not my opinion. That's found in the book of Philemon, verse 6, where Paul says, I pray that the sharing of your faith, look, when you share your faith, you're gonna grow and become more effective in knowing everything God has done for you. When you share out of your mouth the truth of the gospel, you're gonna know more Because in your sharing, you grow in knowledge of Jesus Christ. You grow. In difficult seasons of my life, when I thought that I could not preach one more Sunday, the thing that most strengthened me was preaching one more Sunday. There's a world of difference between how I feel right now and how I felt yesterday because every time the name of Jesus comes out of my mouth, I get stronger. That's how you become a strong soldier is running into battle, announcing the peace of of Jesus Christ. Do you know why there's so much chaos in the world? Because the world is committed to producing chaos in the world. The point of all the chaos is chaos, nothing else. I don't care what system the world calls it. The world's goal is to produce chaos. In fact, let me say it like this. The world is more ready to spread lies than the church is ready to spread truth. The world loves chaos and wants to create more of it. And we have the gospel of peace. So, how about you? How about your feet? How do they, how do they look right now? Are you strapped up? <laughs> Are you strapped up with a, a readiness to share? I want to finish with one story. This is from the Boston Globe. Occurred a good many years ago now. But a bride and groom chose the Hyatt Hotel for their wedding reception. So they went there to pick out all the, the menu, the food items, and the, all the plates and the silverware. And then in order to secure the Hyatt, they had to put down half of the cost of the entire charge of, the, of renting it. Well, one day before the invitations were to go out, the groom backed out of the wedding. So his fiance went down to the Hyatt and says, my groom has said he doesn't want to get married and what can I do about a refund? And the manager of the Hyatt said, I'm sorry, I can only return 20% of your down payment, which was half. And so then she was faced with a decision of her lifetime. Take the 20% or go ahead with the banquet. And that's what she did. It seemed ludicrous. Not a wedding feast but a party like Boston had never seen. You see, because 10 years earlier, this woman had been living in a homeless shelter. And since that time, she had rebuilt her life with the help of God. And now with the savings she had managed to accumulate, she decided to treat the down and out of Boston for a party they would never forget. So she sent out invitations everywhere. Homeless shelters, rescue missions, and in June of 1990, the party came off just the way her new plans had called for. The hostess changed the menu to, in honor, in honor of the groom, the hostess changed the menu to boneless chicken. <clears throat> and according to the newspaper, to the Boston Globe, this is what the Hyatt looked like when the invitees came to the special feast, And I quote from the newspaper. People who were used to peeling half-gnawed pizza off of cardboard dined instead on chicken cordon bleu. Hyatt waiters served hors d'oeuvres to senior citizens who were propped up on crutches and aluminum walkers. Bag ladies, vagrants, and addicts took one night off from the hard street on the uh, life on the street and sipped champagne and ate chocolate wedding cake and danced to big band music until the night was over this is what we're called to do to walk out into that world to run into that world in all of the chaos in all of the disappointment, and all of the sorrow dealing with all of our temptations and all of our stuff, all of our junk, we are still called to go to that world and announce that God is throwing a party and Jesus has died on the cross and has written in his blood an invitation for you to come and would you come to the banquet of God and feast forever on the peace of God in heaven. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast from Hope Point Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. If you would like to learn more about us or give to this ministry, please go to our website at hopepoint.org. We hope you can join us again next week.